Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome two special guests to this podcast. One of our guests, Major General Gail Pollack, has been with us before. By way of reference, she recorded podcast number 63 in January of 2009. And our second guest is Mike Jernigan, a medically retired Marine who lost his eyesight when he was wounded by a roadside bomb in Iraq in 2004. Gail and Mike, uh, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you. Thanks very much. So let me begin by reintroducing the vision, mission, and uh, passion of Major General Pollack. Uh, she is the executive director of the nation's first eye center for ocular regeneration, which was recently named and designated the Lewis J. Fox Vision Restoration Center based on the kind donation of Mr. Lewis J. Fox to uh, support the development of that particular initiative. Uh, Major General Pollack, perhaps you could just give us a brief overview of the Fox Center for Vision Restoration and some of the initiatives that are underway. Of course. We were delighted when uh, Lewis decided that he wanted to support us. He has been suffering from vision loss himself and understands the loss of mobility and independence that comes along with the majority of vision loss. So he was very excited to talk with us to realize that we were focused on ocular regeneration and technology so that we can have a mixture of methods to re return people to a high quality or a higher quality of life. And one of the initiatives that you and Mike are working together on with your technical colleagues in the Vision Restoration Center is a device that can aid visually impaired or blind people to, quote, see, unquote. Perhaps before we get into that, Mike, would you briefly just give us an introduction to how you came to be in the particular situation you are in terms of the, your, your service to the country and your loss of vision in Iraq? Well, you know, I was 24 years old and, and decided that I wanted to change my life, so I enlisted in the Marine Corps. I'm a third-generation Marine. My grandfather's a Korean War and Vietnam War veteran, and my dad's a Vietnam War veteran. I wound up serving with uh, Easy Company, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines, in the Anbar province of Iraq on the summer of 2004, and uh, was lucky enough to find a bomb. <laughs> we, were, we were on a mounted patrol in the line of Humvees, uh, cruising down an um, area called Route Jackson in uh, Mamadiya, Iraq, when we were basically blown up by two 155-millimeter artillery shells which are pretty big. They hit our truck and kind of turned it inside out. I was in the machine gun turret and was ejected 20 meters outside of the vehicle. I had about 45% of my cranium crushed in. I lost both my eyes. Uh, I had to have my right hand fully reconstructed and had to have reconstructive surgery in my left knee as well. It took 16 months in hospitals and rehab facilities to really put me back together. I did 30 major surgeries in the first 12 months and had to go back out in the world and, and learn to live without sight. Okay, so that's where you find yourself today. And first of all, I have to commend you for your commitment to developing yourself. I understand you're pursuing a college degree at this point. Is that correct? Yes, I am. We just moved back to my hometown of St. Petersburg, Florida, so I could attend the University of South Florida. Last year, I was at uh, Georgetown University, so I am uh, I'm 
set my aspirations high. I met him and then and then decided that the the DC life wasn't for me, so I moved back down to the coast. Well, very good. So the real focus of this discussion today is to share with our listeners this emerging technology called the Brainport Vision System. So perhaps I can ask Major General Pollock to just briefly overview the technology and how it's applied to somebody like Mike who has no vision. Okay. I'd like the listeners to go along with me here and just imagine that you've got a pair of sunglasses on that has a small camera on the nose piece of the sunglasses. That camera can then see in front and to the sides of you, you know, a usual camera view, and that sends a pixelated digital image to a BlackBerry-like transducer, which then submits via wire to a one-inch square that has 20 rows and 20 dots on each of those rows. Because your tongue is a moist environment, it's a good electrical conductor, the users will put that square that some of them call a lollipop on their tongue. And the sensation they get is described, I've heard it described as like pop rocks and as champagne bubbles. But nerves of the tongue successfully transmit that pixelated image to the brain where, based on my discussions with them, it seems they get a sensing of what their environment is. I would not say that they're seeing their environment. I think that's a, a little too aggressive for where we are at this point in time with our technology. But since Mike's using it, why don't we ask him? Very fine, Mike. Would you uh, please share your experiences with this experimental device? Well, like the general says, you know, you get the uh, electrical impulses on your tongue and they transmit to your brain. Basically, you're using your vision cortex, like in my situation, hasn't been used for five years, but it's my filing cabinet of images. You know, I was, I was sighted for 25 years, so I saw a lot of different things. I then evaluate whatever those impulses are on my tongue and try to put together what is in front of me. You know, if I'm standing there on the street looking at my house, you know, I see the peak of the roof and the outline of the garage, different things like that. I can put it together that that's a house. You know, I can put it together where the front door is by because my front door is a different color than the rest of my house. It's a darker color, so I can walk right to my door. You know, if I'm looking at different images in front of me, say sitting at a desk or something, you know, I can I can spread some things out on my desk in front of me and locate them on the desk where they are by shapes and size. So it's not, like like the general said, it's not sight. Uh, you know, I don't see, but I'm using, processing those electrical impulses and, and trying to put together the best picture I can in my head. Mike, I've heard you in uh, some previous discussions suggest that as this technology matures and, and is perhaps achieves higher resolution, if you perceive that it is capable of helping you uh, navigate and do your daily chores. Is that a correct uh, assumption? Hopefully. You know, uh, one, of, one of my biggest issues, honestly, is I, I can sit down and I use a computer and I read on uh, audio books. You know, obviously, I, I managed to get back into school and get accepted to Georgetown University, which anybody that knows me would realize that that's quite a feat. <laughs> you know, my, my biggest challenge is mobility, is getting around. You know, I fly across the country quite often. I am a guide dog user, so I, I do get around fairly safely. But I, I get mixed up a lot. You know, being in, in downtown D.C. was very hard to navigate. When I'm in Los Angeles, it's hard to navigate. You know, basically, when I'm in my hometown, it's really hard to navigate. If I could have a device that I could, I could put on 
pair of sunglasses, put this this pad on my tongue, and and be able to to walk down the street and assess the images around me rapidly enough to navigate those obstacles, that would be ideal. Something that maybe could help me walk down the street again, could maybe help me stand at the street corner and realize when it is the safest time to cross the street instead of trying to do it by sound alone. So, uh, Mike, the device that uh, you've been kind enough to help uh, evaluate is, I think, in its infancy. I think that I've heard you in the past uh, say that it's uh, perhaps equivalent to the development of PCs in the 50s. Can you just elaborate a little bit on what you uh, see as the current state of the art and what you would like to see in a more mature device? Well, you know, you got to think back in, in the early early stages of the computer. They were the size of warehouses. You know, and now we've got the iPhone, which, uh, from what I understand, is, is pretty pretty highly advanced. Uh, one of the things with, with this machine, the brain port, is it is in its infancy. Right now, it seems to be sufficient to do stationary tasks, sitting down, stuff that's not too complicated. One of the issues that we would like to see or that I know I would like to see move forward with this machine is it needs to be tweaked. It needs to move forward more rapidly. We need a higher pixel count on the interaural display. Right now, I think it's running at about 400 pixels. It probably needs to run realistically at more like 3,000 pixels so you get higher picture resolution. The camera needs to have an auto iris lens so that I don't have to adjust for light exposure Every time I change rooms or a cloud comes over the, the sun when I'm outdoors or walk behind the shadow, you know, it needs to have a, a more friendly hand control for easier one-handed manipulation. You know, I'm blind. I've got a dog. Uh, other blind people have a cane in one hand and going to have a hand control in the other. It's not something I can stop and readjust every time I need to. Also, it'd be nice to see it wireless, possibly. You know, I understand that the wireless technology is growing rapidly, and one of the issues that we do have is power, finding batteries that are small enough but last long enough. If these things can move forward quicker, it would be better to, you know, obviously I want something that can help me today. Uh, I understand that I have to wait, but I, I would, don't want to have to wait that long. Yeah, I understand. And so what we have is some very promising and innovative technology that needs to mature. And for someone like yourself who... Well, you know, John, one of the things is this this technology has been out there for a long time, if you really think about it. It's, it's these people that have finally decided to put it all together in this type of package. You know, cameras have been around for God knows how long. You know, we've got pictures from the Civil War. Electrical impulses, these things have been around for a very long time. It's the software and the and the putting it all together in one package. And a lot of the technology is there to move it forward. What's needed most is money for research, is money to get this done. This stuff's not cheap. You know, I mean, the, the package I've got, I think, is, is probably worth about $10,000. That's expensive. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, I think I deserve it, but we need more money so that this stuff can move forward faster. Well, that's certainly one of the missions of Major General Pollock is to uh, develop programs and funding to make these innovations possible and have help them mature more rapidly. From what I understand, she's doing a good job so far. <laughs> yes, she certainly is. 
So what we have is a uh, an innovative technology that has a promise based on its preliminary evaluation so far. And as Mike has clearly shared with us, uh, needs some further refinement and maturation in terms of meeting his needs and presumably other people who have the same loss of vision. So Mike has raised the question of the cost of this technology, and perhaps as it matures and gets higher resolution, perhaps there might even be an increase in cost. But I recall for many of these emerging technologies, there's always the issue of reimbursement. Major General Pollock, have you considered these types of issues? Yes, we've been talking about that a great deal up here at the at the Fox Center because we know that individuals, insurance companies, the, the government, whether it's state or, or federal, needs to be convinced that the money that they're spending is a worthwhile investment. So it's important to develop what we're calling evidence-based outcomes so that we can, through research, demonstrate that this particular device improve someone's quality of life in this manner. If they have these limitations or these restrictions, this other device is better for them. So that people have the information that they need to make a wise decision about their investment. Because unfortunately, at this point in time, these devices are expensive. They're not something that we can just run down to the, the local department store and, and pick up. So we need to not only advance the technology so that we can lower the costs once it's a very functional device, make it broadly available to people, but we need to make it a cost that both individuals and insurers, whether they're government or private, are able to afford because we cannot continue to allow this number of people to be disengaged from society. Most people don't recognize that vision impairment is one of the top 10 disabilities in America. And I believe that that's because the need is really invisible to them. As people start to struggle more and more with being mobile and independent outside, they spend more and more time inside. And as wonderful as Mike and some of his colleagues are doing, when they see someone like Mike out there, most people then use a broad brush to paint the rest of the group and say, oh, look, they're doing fine, when in actuality, only three out of ten who are severely vision impaired venture outside their home. Very pertinent points, and uh, thank you for sharing that. So, Major General Pollock, I know there are many other diseases that uh, affect vision, and I believe that the uh, Fox Center is addressing these on a broader basis than the the, uh, BrainPort technology. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There are a number of reasons that people lose sight, and historically, it has been an issue of aging. But as a nurse, I'm very concerned about how that's going to abruptly change in the next few years. As you're aware, there's a huge obesity, pun intended, dilemma here in the United States. One of the problems that results from obesity is an obesity-induced diabetes. Unfortunately, we have just almost a tsunami of youth at seven, eight, nine years old who are being diagnosed with obesity-induced diabetes. In order to minimize your risk of eye dysfunction after you get that obesity-induced diabetes, you have to maintain your glucose, your sugar levels in your blood within a very narrow window. The probability of these children being able to successfully do that 
when they haven't learned really the discipline to care for themselves, they don't necessarily have a supportive environment, is going to make them very, very prone to eye disease. As I've talked with the ophthalmologist here, they say that once a patient evidences changes in the eye from diabetes and has what they consider diabetic retinopathy or a glaucoma, for example, it only takes about 15 years of poorly controlled diabetes for that to progress to loss of sight, which means that what we're considering children now are going to be blind in their 20s. And I don't think that the nation is prepared to lose this incredible portion of our society through inability to go to a workplace because of their loss of mobility and independence. We have to get ahead of this challenge so that we can aggressively restore quality of life, restore people to community if this pending disaster actually occurs. We have to get after this aggressively. And unfortunately, it's going to cost money from the federal government, from the state's governments, and from the generosity of people who know what the pain and suffering of having loss of vision is all about. Well, I would certainly agree this is a major issue, and I know that you have an incredible scientific and clinical team that's prepared to address these issues. And, of course, it does take funding to support that. So we wish you best success in yours and your colleagues' endeavors, not only to find funding, but also to move forward scientifically in these regards. We have to do both. There's absolutely nothing more important to me than restoring independence and quality of life to these men and women, regardless of their age or the reason they got their loss of vision. So I'd like to thank both of our guests for joining us by telephone today. And I apologize for any difference in audio quality because of the telephone connection. We will post on the podcast website a link to the Fox Center for Vision Restoration and also to the Brainport website. We would like to remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions in terms of other topics to cover, but also note that we're not in a position to diagnose medical problems via the Internet. As we conclude, I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine who sponsors these podcasts and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for another exciting interview. Thank you and best wishes. 